Hello and welcome to the Just a Tumor of Us podcast. It's a podcast about living with and without cancer and navigating everyday life from two very different perspectives. I'm Ed, a student journalist. I'm Linda, a mother of five um, with a full-time job and stage four bowel cancer. And we have a lovely guest on this week. Um, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, no problem. I'm Emer. I'm 48 years old. I have three children and a grandchild. And I was diagnosed in October with rectal cancer. Thank you very much, and thanks for coming on. Uh, no it'll be nice to get onto your story, but we'll just do a check-in. Yeah. Well, um, how was your week, Linda? Cool. Yeah, not bad. Like actually, not bad. Um, actually, I'd be lying mm. if I said not bad. I, I probably had the last three days. I was probably like psycho woman because on Saturday morning, Carl said, "I said, do you want to go out for breakfast?" He goes, "I think the house needs to be cleaned," and I was like, "But you're here all week with the kids. Why does the house need?" And I flipped, and when I flip, I flip. And we ended up biting off more than I can chew, cleaning for six and a half hours upstairs and really hurting my back where I couldn't get out of bed on Sunday. Like, And then yesterday, oh, I had a really tough, really tough day. Um, went for a smear test and she goes with the clamp and then comes back out and goes, I can't, your cervix is bent, I can't find it. Can you stick your hands under your bum and sit up there a bit? And then went in again. I was like, here is she, for real? Um, it was grand though. Like, but what she did say to me was, Last year, I I was diagnosed with stage four cancer on the 9th of July. I started chemo on the 23rd of July, and I had my smear test in between those two dates. So there was no treatment that would have cured Atten while, while Atten was there. But it turned out that was the first time ever I had a smear come back and I had HPV in it. So they said, look, there is nothing in your, in your cervix or anything, so we're just going to leave you off for a year, come back in a year and have another one. So the nurse said to me yesterday, there's a possibility because I've had treatment and I've had because I've had treatment and um, an operation and my immune system is probably on the floor that it's going to come back again with HPV but this time I'll be referred to laparoscopy or whatever that is you know they go in and they check and I just looked at her and said what's another poke like I've had enough of them over the last year what's one more you know um please god that's all that it comes back with you know and hopefully it comes back with nothing but i think i can deal with hbv if they start going on about cancer changes and your cell changes and all i'm not able for all of that because i'm going through other stuff that i don't need that mm. so um that was fine and then i had two incidents where i was speaking to people and i was really upset and then a friend of mine kind of made me cry because she was like linda you're so angry maybe just have a smoke maybe just have one smoke if that's what you need and just get it out like she said you're so hard on yourself try park this cancer for two months and come back to it at the end of July when there's something you can do about it so I wish I could say that's probably the worst couple of days I've had in a long time I just I'm struggling with the outcome of my um of my appointment three weeks ago and um, some days five days of the week I'm good and one or two days I'm not great and yesterday was one of them. So hopefully going forward, there'll be less and less. But look, I think when you're in limbo, it's difficult to be positive all the time, you know. Um, so, yeah, that was really mine. What about yourself? Uh, yeah, just grand. Look, I'm always the same. Working, studying, all that sort of jazz. Um, a bit more positive, like I'm kind of, things are working. I'm, I've started to kind of put more time back into college because I kind of let college slip a bit. I was working... When, we, when I finish my classes, I kind of let it slip a bit. So um, I might have placement for my course, which is really good. And then 
people have got back to me about my thesis about interviews so that's good and yeah like look i've just been keeping busy it's it's always the best thing to do is keep busy but i am exhausted like i am tired and you even said yourself when you asked me today you said yourself you're exhausted like mm. from working and stuff like that and it's just it's tiring but look like i'm glad i have a good job i studying and mm. like well, i can't really complain about it because i'm in a good position you know um, it's still okay to complain though you know we're only human ah yeah and we do enough of it to be fair but look that's that's mm. life i do and how was your week Emer? i had a lovely week yeah um can't say i've done anything spectacular i didn't but i managed to get two walks in this week which was really important for me because i used to walk every day and since the treatment started i just hadn't got the energy to walk and then i decided then a couple of weeks ago i was going to go back into it as soon as the chemo finished but then I got a clot on my lung and then I could barely breathe, couldn't get up the stairs. And so that was another, you know, just stopped me in my tracks. Mm. So we got out on Saturday and we got out last night for a walk, which was really good. So um, I had a couple of scans last week as well. So things are moving forward. So I'm just waiting now for the outcome of them, you know. So no, it was a positive week. I enjoyed it. It was a good week. I'm feeling a lot better since the chemo stopped. Feeling a lot clearer in my mind. The fatigue now is really bad, but I can cope with that. I don't sleep during the night, but I seem to hit two o'clock in the day and I could sleep for Ireland, but you know, um, it's the ups and downs of it. But now generally I had a really good week. Yeah. And just to say, my in relation to walking and stuff, mm-hmm. Lola's only eight, as you know, yeah. and she wants to go to some, you know that girl who sings the song Driver's Licence? You Olivia know. Rodrigo. Yeah. So she's playing in Fairview Park oh, yeah. and Lola's begging for tickets. It's on the tour to the June and I'm, Charlie won't take her because she doesn't like her. And I can't stand for long periods of time. That's my Walking's not a bad thing for me. It's the standing still. It, I start to get a little bit like... Bring oh, a camping chair with you. Yeah. Um, so I was trying to get someone else to take her and I feel really bad. We were in the car today and I heard, I heard the song up and I said, that's the girl you want to go see, isn't it? And she was like... Yeah, but no one will take me. And then you feel like such a bad person. Like, but she doesn't want to go with her dad. Yeah. You know, if it was in like somewhere like the O2 or Three Arena, whatever it's called, you, you wouldn't mind. Like, she can sit down. Um, but I was considering today maybe getting a camping chair yeah, definitely. and just sitting and next to her. Yeah, because yeah. The, like the walking, I'm fine with. It's just standing still for long periods mm-hmm. of time really gets me. You know. Yeah. Or bring Carl and sit in the shoulders. <laughs> and then Lola can sit on mine. Yeah. Then she'll see the stage. <laughs> oh, she'll be like, she'll, she'll love me forever. And she's like, the tickets are only 50 quid for two. You know, she has all just And she's never asked to go to a concert, so this mm. is the first. Um, I'm going to try to figure it out, you know, I really don't want to go, like if, if I'm being honest, I'm not, I don't, but Charlie won't bring her, so there is really anyone else that she'll want to go with, yeah. so I'm going to have to figure that one out, but uh, but yeah. You'll figure it out, you will. <laughs> um, so Emer, do you want to kind of just talk through your whole journey, where it all started, um, and kind of where you're at now? Yeah. Um, so if you just want to chat through that with us and... We'll interject with questions when we have them. No bother. Um, back in 2022, January 2022, I found out I carried the BRCA2 gene. Um, and I decided straight away, because I had been in James's a couple of months previous, chatting to the nurses and stuff, that if it came back, it was a positive. Um, because of my age and family history and stuff, um, I would have my ovaries and tubes removed ASAP. 
Did, um, sorry, was that because someone in your family had the gene? Yeah, um, my father, uh, he was the carrier of the gene. And my father's dead quite a long time, but he, my aunt, his sister, came and said that she and her son had both gotten cancer. And then when he got the cancer, they said, right, we'll do the test, genetics. So they done it and she carried the gene. So she came and she told us that we need to go and have it done. So my brother <clears throat> got his done and got his results in the December and he was negative. I got mine in the January, two days before my birthday. And I was positive. And uh, since then, two of my other brothers, there's five of us all together, both of them have tested positive. So there's three positive, one negative, and one still to get tested. But um, yeah, within six months, I had the ovaries and tubes removed. Um, in the tick of the COVID, it was the June. I went to the beacon, got that done, and... Was it 2021? 20, what did I say, 2020? You said 2022. No, no, 2020. Oh, 2020. 2020, All right. January 2020. So had that done in the June, and uh, I opted for a double mastectomy as well. I had said that there was no way, you know, that I was going to keep anything on my body that was at risk to killing me. So we said we'd do a bit of screening first, and obviously you have to have, like... Um, psychology and stuff to ring you and make sure that you're sound mind at the decisions you're making and so anyway that happened and again through the COVID it was all done through Zoom and uh, no I didn't hear anything about that yet but I've had MRIs I have um, the mammograms the, the nurses do a breast check and all of that so so far we're doing okay with that but I went straight into menopause with that within 12 hours of having my ovaries and my tubes removed um, it was into the menopause it was like so sorry just to ask so because you've obviously had your ovaries and your um sorry your ov- fallopian and your fallopian tubes, tubes yeah. removed you still you would still go through menopause oh you still have your womb do you yeah. sorry just to help me to yes, understand you still have your womb but it's your ovaries and your tubes that control your hormones and your body okay. it's not your womb okay so ovaries and tubes. so they're removing them obviously so, to avoid the risk of yes because they've no way of screening for ovarian cancer normally when they detect it it's too far gone mm. so the safest thing to do is to take them out if you're up in any high risk oh, okay so because of my age and because of the family history i was the risks were huge so i've had my family you know there was no way i was going to have any more at that age and then you know it was a no-brainer take them out be done with it so that's what they did anyway so in between that as i said we were being screened for mm. the breasts and stuff and then um in june july sorry i got this bit of a pain in my hip and it happened to be the day after i got my second jab for the covid injection and i went to the doctor because it was niggling at me and i went and i said you know i have this bit of a thing in my hip i can't quite put my finger on the pain it's not an actual pain it's more of discomfort and um, they examined me and they said, you know, there's nothing there. Um, they done all the exercises. They said, maybe it's arthritis. So I said, okay, fine. Came home anyway and started to um, pass my stools with, with blood, with fresh blood. And was this in 2020 as well? This was all, no, no. That 2020 was the ovaries. This has gone back to October this year. Okay. So, um, well, sort of from July. It was July when it started. Mm. But um, you don't jump to thinking that it's anything sinister. You know, you're like, there's a bit of blood there. Is it a pile? Is it a little bit of a tear? You know, but it was going on for quite a few weeks. So I said, you know what? This is really niggling at me. So on the Monday, I said, it was the end of August. So I left it from the July to the August where this blood was happening. And I said, I'm going to go to the doctor. And we were going to Lanzarote on the Friday. And I said, I really need to go. It was just something niggling with me. So I went to my doctor in um, Kilimana and there was a, a stand-in doctor. 
Spanish lady and she examined me and she said to me I'd like you to go straight to the A&E she said and I said to her oh no I can't I said you don't understand I said I'm heading to Lanzarote on Friday I said and I said I've colours and all to get you know for my hair and all I'm really busy and she said to me well mammy she said um, I think she said this is cancer and I looked at her and I said wow I said you need to be very sure of what you're saying before you say that to somebody you know and out of the list of you know have you any back pain you know, the difference in your stool, loss of weight. I had none of them. The only thing I had was this ache in my hip, mm. which she said was part of it. And, um, were you going to say something? No. No. The ache in my hip and obviously the blood in the stool. So I went home that evening anyway. I said, no, I'm not going to tell her because I just... I Can I ask, just because my mm-hmm. own story, do you think she felt your tumour when she done the rectal check? Because I know when we have rectal cancer the tumours are quite low down mm. some doctors can feel it some doctors can't she might have but she didn't say that to okay. me it was when she when she looked at the gloves it wasn't very nice to look at so she knew there was something sinister going on you mm. know so she said I don't want you to, to go on holidays she said I feel she said you might you know hemorrhage from your back passage she said you're in a foreign country the language you know the difference in the language and you know I, I, I feel you know you really need to go to the hospital so the next day anyway I said right we'll head off we we'll go to James's and the reason I chose James's was because of the BRCA gene and they have my history there and um, it was just easier you know so anyway I went to the A&E and they gave me an internal examination and they done bloods and they came back and they said to me that they were happy enough with the, the no findings you know they were happy enough with it and that um, if, I, if, it, if it persisted to go to my doctor so I came home delighted anyway I was thinking this is great you know there must be nothing there and I'd head off to Lanzarote so we went to Lanzarote on the Friday and then for the week we were in Lanzarote it was still you know going bleeding and stuff so I came home on the Friday and the children started back to school on the Monday in the September and I said no I'm going to the doctor so I went back to my own doctor Dr Fields and I went in and I said Dr Fields look I said um, there's something niggling with me I said I can't put my finger on it I said I have the only symptom I have I said is that this fresh blood not through my stool on the outside of my stool I said I went to the doctor in Kilimane I said she sent me to Jane, to the hospital I went to James's I said and they said I was okay I said but I, I, I don't feel okay I don't have any other symptom that she asked me I said only what I'm telling you there so I said she asked me if it persisted I needed to come to you and you refer me for a colonoscopy so he said no problem I'll do that today so I got the appointment for the colonoscopy, this was September. I got the appointment for the colonoscopy for the 3rd of October, which was quite fast, it was four weeks. Mm. So I was happy with that. So anyway, drank that stuff, cruel. That's the only description for that. Absolutely <laughs> vile, cruel. Against the law. The worst experience <laughs> of my life, but anyway, got it in. And anyway, that was grand. So went in the next day and was brought in for the colonoscopy and uh, I had said look you know sedative doesn't really work on me and so just you know go ahead there's no point in wasting it really so they said you know did you have children I said yeah okay well then we'll breathe through this I said yeah grand so anyway that was grand so he went he was doing the job and we got down further and I was watching everything on the screen and uh, (laughs) he he said to the nurse there was two little um, nurses beside me and said would you go out and get whatever the person's name was so she came in and she had a look and at this stage I'm saying okay there's something sinister there you know you just know the vibe of the room just yeah. changes so um, I was uh, quiet as a mouse I didn't open my mouth and uh, she came in and she was standing and both of them were talking and then he asked one of the other 
nurses to go outside and to bring in again another doctor but Dr O'Reardon was, was passing and uh, he came in and I just remember him like straight away unbuttoning his cuffs <laughs> and turning them up in trouble here and uh, in he went and that's the only way I can describe it and anyway he did what he had to do and he got down and I said to him can you tell me what's going on and he said to me really abruptly will you let me wash my hands and I said yes fine you know so we got up anyway and uh, he stood beside me and he said Eber, I would like to admit you today he said um, we'd like you to have a CAT scan and an MRI and I said to him, oh, doctor, I said, I can't stay today. I said, because um, my daughter's communion, I said, is next Wednesday. I said, it's actually a week today. And uh, I said, and it's been cancelled already. I said, so I really have a lot on, you know. <laughs> so he looked at me and he says to me, well, if we let you go, he said, it means you come in then as an outpatient. He said, we could be months waiting on the MRI, months waiting on the CAT scan, he said. And I feel you need to do it. And he said, I tell you what, if you stay in, he said, you will be out for the communion. So I said, okay, well, then that's fine. So this girl, Emer, she came, I think she's one of uh, the doctors, O'Riordan's doctors that works beside him. And uh, she came in to me and she had a chat with me and she said, I'm sure you know, she said that there's something going on. And you know, I said, I do. I said, I um, had a chat with her. And uh, by that evening, I sort of knew what we were dealing with. And he had said to me that they had taken biopsies and it would take about a week. But the following, I had the MRI done that afternoon. They were really quick with the, the MRI and I was to wait for the CAT scan. So um, the following morning, that lady, Emer, the doctor came around and she sat at the end of the bed and she told me that it was uh, a malignant tumour and she was very straight and I, you know, I appreciated that because I knew myself, mm. you know, what we were dealing with and that um, they were having a CAT scan that day and then they'd let me know. So I had said to her, look, when I have the CAT scan, can I go home? I said, because last night lying here, I said, your mind goes to places that you really don't want it to go to. You hear cancer and immediately cancer is associated with death mm. it's cancer death yeah. i said i you know i was thinking about my children my family everything i said i cannot do another night in here because i will absolutely i'll end up in unit seven going off the rocker i need to get out of here mm. so she said to me look she said would you not stay an extra night just to process things you know and get your head around it and i said no i'll process it better at home so that afternoon we had the CAT scan anyway and true to her word that evening I was discharged and I came home, that was the Thursday. So she said to me, I'm not prepared to leave you waiting. She said, I don't think it's fair. She said to leave you waiting. So as soon as we have any results that are definite, she said, I will ring you. So I said, okay. So myself and Alan and my daughter are walking around Tesco's on the Friday evening and my phone goes and it was the doctor. And she said, um, Emer, I'm happy to tell you that um, it hasn't spread to your lungs or your liver. Now, for some reason, I don't know what I was thinking. Obviously, I wasn't because I didn't even think about that. I didn't even think about the spread. I just thought about it being in the rectum. It was cancer. It was malignant. It was death. It wasn't even about spreading. I just, I don't know what happened, but I nearly fell into the fridge in Tesco's. And I was like, oh my God, that didn't even enter my mind that this could spread, you know? So, but uh, two of my lymph nodes were, were very swollen. So that was a concern. So I said, okay. So she said, we'll see you the week after the communion. So I said, brilliant. So I had an appointment then with Dr. O'Riordan the week after Blonnet's communion and uh, we went in to see him. And he set us down and he told us the treatment plan. My treatment plan is called, it was called TNT treatment and it was 28 rounds of radiation with chemo tablets, three in the morning, three 12 hours later in the night. 
and then when I finished that I had a three week break and then I was having eight cycles of IV uh, chemotherapy and then I was having the operation at the end of that so that's really what happened I started that the 14th of November my last radiation was the 23rd of December tell us a bit about the radiation I'm not I'm, I'm just laughing because we've had conversations yeah. like we're pals you know yeah. we've had conversations <laughs> so I know we've giggled a bit about it but yeah. I suppose the real reality of 28 rounds of radiation mm. and chemo at the same time oh, yeah, is yeah. a lot for anybody mm. I didn't experience that I was probably lucky yeah. and my cancer is more progressed than yours mm. you know mm. so they, they acted really fast and, yeah. and gave you a really good going over yeah, like you did, know yeah. I remember I started taking the chemo tablets on a Tuesday and my radiation started on a Tuesday and by the Friday I, I sort of underestimated the power of a chemo tablet you think mm. it's a tablet so it's really nothing mm. but I, I'm very sensitive to tablets as well I mean I couldn't take a Nurofen I'd be getting sick and I'd be dizzy and I'm really shocking for tablets so um, I started taking them on the Tuesday and I immediately get the head spins disorientation and um, oh, I was really bad by the Friday my vision and all was going blurred. I said, what's going on here? My vision and I can't see. So I'm heading into Luke's and I said, I think I'm going to just, uh, what are you laughing at? I'm sorry, I'm just, I just, like, it's just the way you say it, like, you're just so... Like, no, seriously, I, I was just... I was going blind and I was really panicking in my sitting room. So I rang Alex. I left yeah, just a message, funny. I left a message for Alex and I said, Alex, is it normal, I said, for your vision to go a bit queer? So immediately as I'm driving into Luke's, she rings the phone and uh, she said to me, Emer, explain to me what you mean about it. I said, I have blurred vision, I can't see. I said, um, don't mind the disorientation. I said, you know, that that's fine. I said, but like, I'm really getting worried. I said, I, 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 I can't see. So she said to me, oh no, she said, I want you to come out, Luke's, to go straight into the A&E. So I said, oh, for God's sake, of a Friday evening, can you imagine to carry on up there? So she said, well, you know, if anything happens and it's your blood pressure, you know, you need to go. So I said, okay, fine. So anyway, goes up to the A&E, goes in. And the doctor came in, I was in isolation for hours, and this doctor comes in, and I like I was only four days starting this, and she says to me, and you're only started, you know, your treatment and all this, and I said, yeah, and she said, you know, she said, some people think radiation is harder than chemo. And I looked at her and I said, now talk about being a patronizing bitch, you know, looking at her, because to me, chemo was the worst thing in the world. Yeah. You're thinking radiation, you know, a couple of minutes getting a blast, and you're out there. Well, I tell you, did I eat those words? I ate them words. I got through three What did you say for when she said that? I just said, really? And I was better off then closing my mouth because, you know, I was just like, no, no, she's really just now. How can it be worse than chemo when chemo was like, strips you down of everything, mm. you know? So I just didn't want to be rude. So I just said, oh, really? I said, so anyway, I came out and I said, no, that was rubbish, you know? She's only saying that because, you know, my vision and all has gone blurred sitting here. But anyway, so... I started, as I said, the, the radiation. And about week three, I started to feel a little bit of discomfort, but nothing much. And I'm a bit like, you know, this has to be done. You have to get on with it. And, you know, the side effects to everything. So I wasn't really complaining. Week four, I said, okay, I'm going to need to go and see the nurse. I'm going to need some sort of a cream or something. I started to get really irritated and everything was hot. You know, obviously, you know, things were working. <laughs> so the radiation was doing its job. Week five. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Week five was hard. But again, they had given me Instilla gels and all sorts of stuff that you could try for both front and back areas because both my front and back was, was burning. 
So week six, I really, really struggled to walk, to sit, to do anything. It was really, really uncomfortable. But my last session was the 23rd of December. And I remember I couldn't sit down on the chairs outside. I had to stand and I could barely stand. And I remember going in and I was practically crawling, but up on my feet and the pain was so bad. And I couldn't get up onto the radiation. I'm gonna call it a plate because that's what it's like. I couldn't get up on it. And I got to know the nurses over the six weeks of going in every day, you know, so they get to know you. And you know, are you okay? And I said, girls, I'm, I'm really uncomfortable. You know, I said, I, I'm in bits. So they helped me up anyway and I lay down and the tears just came streaming out the side of my face. That's the amount of pain I was in, but I didn't verbalize it. I just, again, suck it up, you know. So when I finished uh, my radiation, the nurse was waiting outside for me. And she said, Emer, the girls have told me how bad you're feeling. And, you know, so they brought me in and they examined me and again gave me a big bag of Instilla gels, all sorts of different things to put on the area. And then told me that, you know, unfortunately it's going to get worse before it gets better because the radiation is still working in your body and it's going to be active over the next time, next couple of weeks anyway. So Christmas was an absolute, not a disaster, but for me it was a really, really bad time. But that was the 23rd and the 24th I had to go into James's Christmas Eve and see Alex and get all my stuff about starting the IV chemo because Mm. that was happening just after Christmas. So I barely made it up the stairs because any sort of movement and friction I was in bits. Got up the stairs anyway and I was just in a terrible amount of pain. And the doctor was saying, you know, I'll give you something. And I said, you don't give me anything with opiates. I can't take opiates because they make me sick and I, I can't, I need to be of sound mind for my children. And no, it's bad enough that I'm in pain, but I need to, you know, have me, me faculties like it's Christmas, you know. So anyway, I didn't take anything. So I went home anyway, and uh, I don't know to this day how I got through it. And I'm not even being melodramatic here. I'm just telling you that it was really, really hard. Um, I had to sit in iced buckets of water because I had removed my bath in the March and got a walk-in shower, so I had no bath. So I had to sit in buckets of water with ice for nine days you were born weren't you i was born to back oh, and front. It, oh and it was both back and it was front. both back yeah. and front because my tumor is quite low down in the rectum mm. where they aimed for the radiation burnt both back and front because are you the same as me where you, well i didn't have radiation obviously mm. but i was going to they were going to do radiation on my rectum and my pelvis they were the two it's, places it's the, it's the whole area that yeah. they done yeah, yeah it was the pelvis the rectum and now mine was only a week it wouldn't have been yeah. six weeks yeah so um Anyway, got through that um, and went back. I had to go back actually and over the Christmas time because they wanted to have a look at me and see how I was doing. And again, more creams and more gels and nothing relieved the pain, nothing. Trying to go to the toilet, I can't begin to tell you the pain of that, but anyway. And what I couldn't understand was the hospital, like they want to, opiates, everything's opiate based. Opiates make you constipated. I was severely burnt in my back passage. So, it was bad enough trying to pass a normal stool. If I had taken the opiates, I would have been constipated. Mm. Trying to pass that, it would have just killed me. I mean, I was vomiting into a sick bag while I was trying to go to the toilet. What was the What did the doctor say when he looked at your vagina? Let's it's, not beat around the bush and mm. boom. Like, what did he say when he saw how bad it was? Like, what was his... I tell you what he said, he'd seen worse. Fuck off. He'd seen worse. But I do think that was just, it's their way of just, you know, it's not as bad as you think. Reassuring you that. It's just to give you that boost that, you know, there's there's been worse people out there than this. You're well able to do it, you know, because mm. I just... And think, if you scaled it from a zero to ten, zero have been not painful and ten been excruciating. 
where would you rate I'd say at that 12. Time? Yeah. Because I, I know we've it. had conversations and you've told yeah. me about how bad it was. I so. have never experienced and don't think I will ever experience that level of pain again in my life. I had um, epidural on my, my sources, I felt nothing. On Reese, I didn't. And labour is hard work, mm. you know. This was the pain of this was worse mm -hmm. than labour and that's the only way I can describe it because you have to poo and you have to wee every day so it's mm. a natural function mm. you have to do it so what happened was because it was so bad I you know couldn't really eat and I didn't want to be drinking anything because I knew I was going to have to go to the toilet and it was so painful and the, the, the ordeal of having to dress the wounds, because that's what they were, they were wounds, you know. Oh really, you had to dress oh, the wounds? You had to like... dress, there was, there was... So, sorry, and if this is too personal, just yeah. tell me and you don't answer. So is it just, is the pain like a, a physical, is there a, how am I going to ask this? It's so, a born pain, isn't so it? So it, it I mean, the area is obviously burning, but is there, there is there a physical wound that you can oh. see? Oh, there, it, there is, like it is burnt. So there's a piece of skin in between your back passage. And your vagina mm. that was burnt that was gone oh that was gone it was burnt it was weeping it was full how you didn't burns. get sexist though it's full burns that's what it was you know so you know the pain of burning your finger mm. and it lasts for so long well i can't you know multiply that you know mm. by x and I, I can't even begin to tell you really and i know we were laughing earlier and you mm. were saying oh don't bring that up about these like <laughs> vibrators but they're not vibrators no, that they not. give you because when you've had when you've had radiation mm. down there, your vaginal wall tightens, and so they give does, you these yeah. tools to yeah. put up to open. It's, it's just, not. They're like they start off like little rods, right? And yeah. they start off as small. And what happens is because obviously the radiation has done so much damage, and because it damaged me so bad, um, both back passage and vagina had narrowed. Yeah. So they give you these. I'm going to tubes. Mm -hmm. And they ask you to insert four weeks after your radiation. But they do look like dildos, but they, they're not. They're, they're the shape. Like, they're they're the very shape. Small. There's yeah. this thing, and we don't need to get into this because mm. it's not relevant, but they're sounding rods. Basically, sounding is oh, it's another thing. Mm. It's to do with a male penis. But anyway, um, it's to do with the urethra and the male mm. penis. Um, but they're are they long and skinny, and they, they, they go up and side. They go up and size. Yeah. And yeah. top and tail them by adding the, the different sizes. But the reason why I wanted to bring mm. that up is you were in so much pain, you were, and I can only imagine, mm. like, it sounds horrific, but then they gave you a bag and go home with these bag of tricks. Are mm. you kidding me? Well, they say to you, you know, they, they, they ask you first, would you be, you know, up to doing it? So, of course, you're going to, you're being told that, you know, you're, you've, you've been burned and it's going to narrow and this is going to help you, and you know. So we took them home, and no, oh, that's not them. A bit though. different. Oh. No, they're they're wider. Oh. Okay. But anyway, so they say after four weeks of your radiation, start using it because then you start off with a little one and you just insert, and you just give it a little circular motion and it just helps you widen. And you do that for say a, a week weeks, and then yeah. move on to the next size and yeah. the next size. But because I was so badly burnt, within four weeks I was already hooked up to the IV chemo. So by that stage, sure, I was a flat line in the bed, you know, and there was no way. That you were getting out to, to start using these tools because yeah. that's the last thing you were thinking of. And even the fact that they gave them to you, knowing how much pain you were in. Yeah. Or do you feel like you were taking serious about how much pain you were in? Or do you feel I like think, you kind of popped off? No, as in? I think I played it down for them because, again, like it's just a matter of I'm very much, you know, I'm okay, you have to get on with it. You know, mm. this has to be done. So I control myself all over the place and have a wobbler. You know, it's not going to matter. So it's sort of, I keep it, internalise a lot of the pain. I think that's what I've done. So although I was telling them that this pain was excruciating and mm. it was bad and the whole lot, 
I don't think I emphasized enough how bad it was. Mm. But then, you know, at the end of the day, they give you your stuff, you go home and, you know, that's the job done, you know? But um, I couldn't use them anyway. I definitely couldn't use them. And they're still in the box and they're still in the press, you know? So, um, I, I'm trying to think now where the, that was the radiation. The chemo then in the January started that. How did you, don't mind me asking, mm. how did you cope with chemo and radiation together? Like, what was your reality at that point for six whole weeks of every... Now, radiation is Monday to Friday, we know that. You get a break Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. Was that for you as well? Yes, yeah. it was, yeah. Was, was chemo tablets Monday to Friday? Monday to Friday too. Okay. It worked alongside the radiation. So how were your weekends then, like... Look, were you flat, like, completely exhausted, flattened? Exhausted, yeah. Absolutely okay. exhausted. You know, it's been, it's been a long seven months hmm. to get to where I am now. You know, it really has been a long, and I, as I said, I think you underestimate the power of a tablet, you know, but the tablet was very effective, you know, yeah. and it worked alongside the radiation. But again, I'm a busy mummy, you know, so when you can get up, you have to get up. I have great support, a great family support. So my mother come up every day and I'm a bit of a, a you know, I'm very house proud, a bit of a germaphobe. So she said to me, you know, in order for you to be able to concentrate on yourself, I need to come up here and make sure that the house is the way you like it and then you have no worries. Mm. So that's all I can do. I can't take this from you, but that's all I can do. So every day she'd come up and my daughter, she's 24, and then my sister, she's 29. They'd come up and they do the hard work, you know, as I call that, like the stuff mommy can't do. Mommy's going to be 70 in December. But um, so they kept it all ticking, you know, and they're still mm. doing it to this day. Like mm. they're still doing it. They were there this morning and, you know, and I'm, I'm getting on my feet now so I can I can do it. But um. It was very hard. There's a lot of it I don't remember because you're just functioning to get through each day. Yeah. You're just trying to make it from morning to night to get through each day, mm -hmm. you know? And I find it was a long journey and I walked every day of it and I felt every day of it at the time. And but that's what I was going to say, like for you to be someone who was sitting in a bucket of ice water because you're so badly burnt, mm. like hats off to you, you know? I don't mm. know whether I would have kept going for six weeks of doing that. You know, as you said, the first couple were fine, but mm. then the more you have, the worse it gets. But like, you've no choice. And this is interesting you know? because before we started recording, you actually said you don't think your story is interesting enough to be on the podcast because of other people that are on yeah. the podcast. Mm. But our other guest didn't sit in a, a book of for a voice mm. war for nine. Was it nine days? You nine said? days. Yeah. yeah, for nine days. Yeah. And like, they didn't have to deal with the brachygene mm. and then getting bowel cancer separately because it was like you were having two different diagnoses. And you're treated by two completely different oncology services. Mm. Services is probably not the word, but you know, too, you've got you've got an onco Do you have an oncologist for your BRCA gene? No, or just a consultant. Uh, I have Carol, the nurse. Yeah, she looks after me for all of that stuff. Okay, and then you've got the oncology yeah. over here. So, like, you're dealing with mm. like obviously you don't have. I could be wrong, Naima, mm. but I would think we've had this conversation. You don't have cancer in your boobs no. or in your womb, no. but that risk is quite high. Yes. So you're, you said to me last week, I'm a ticking time bomb. Yeah. We're all ticking time yeah. bombs, but you have so, like, I'm so inspired by your story. I actually feel bad for crying for my <laughs> stupid little fucking reasons, you know, because, and your, your stage, is it two or three bell cancer? I don't like to talk about stages oh, do you on know? this, no, but okay. it's in my lymph nodes. Okay. So, um. That's, you know, a stage three. Okay. But I don't go by stages because 
I think you're blinded by that and again it's a negative mm. yeah. stage three no. stage it's a negative it yeah. is what it is it needs yeah. to be tackled with and we'll try and do this the best we can yeah so because I, Linda always says you always say that's the worst thing you ever asked oh yeah 100% mm. yeah because I'd be stepped dead and buried before I left yeah. the hospital like yeah. I was planning my funeral in the car yeah. on the way home yeah. you know because I know I know and this is the thing about us as human beings. We know cancer as a death sentence. Mm. You know, we yeah. the, so the stigma around cancer has to change for people not to be so scared. Yeah, it's horrible. And it's the worst thing anyone can mm. go through. Mm. And people die. Yeah. But there's so much success because when I first met Professor Gallagher, mm. and he's your oncologist yeah, he as is, well, yeah. he said to me, two years ago, we had two, uh, we had two chemos. We have eight now. Mm. So that just goes to show the progress. And that was the first day I ever met him. Yeah. And me and you did the same IV chemo mm-hmm. we did Falfox. So you know when you finished your radiation in a chemo, mm-hmm. what was the process then? Was there scans done after all of that? No, they told me that there was no point because my treatment came in three stages. So the first was the radiation and chemo, second was the IV chemo, and then the third would be the operation. Okay. So I did have mini CAT scans done with the radiation every Friday. So um, they just said there was no point, you know, because you weren't getting a clear picture because it came in three parts. So then I had the three week break, as I said, and then we went into the IV uh, chemo. And how were you in yourself after three weeks? Like, because that was a I, I was still, tough time you had. Yeah, it was a tough time. And then I was st- like in and out. I had to get the pick fitted um, whilst I was nursing the burns. Why, can I ask you then just, mm-hmm. sorry, you know, because I'm asking you loads of questions. No, right. Why did you choose the pick over the port? I didn't choose it. It was decided that the pick oh, would be okay. better for me. The port was decided for me. Yeah. And they did originally, when I went in for my consultation, they did say the port. But I was so skinny, your man had to move the pillow from under my head and make me lie down so we could just grab any fat right. to get it in. So you think really the, the pick would have been yeah, so yeah. more suitable. Yeah. No, yeah. you can't really feel it now because I've got pudgier, but yeah. back then, like... I just think it's whatever doctor decides, Yeah, yeah. you know, so, yeah. but I got the pick in anyway. So, three-week break, So, and the then... three-week break, in between that, I had the pick done, Um, I was in Luke's getting the dressings and started then in the January then, on the IV chemo. So, I went in on the Friday into James's and I really didn't have a clue, I was like a hair in a headlight, I hadn't got a clue what was going on. I remember walking in the doors when I was dropped off that morning. And I knew I had to go up the stairs because obviously I had been there Christmas Eve um, walking up the stairs and it was the most fearful time in my life mm. because... Did you get that anxious belly? I was... I was... Oh, I couldn't even eat. an awful state mm. of us. But again, I didn't display it. It's just inwardly, you know, you just... Did again, you have Alan with you? No, nobody came at me on the first day of okay. the chemo. Um, I was dropped at the doors and then I went in myself. So... Um, I went in anyway, and again, as I said, we didn't know what was going on. So you're sort of just like, do I go here? Do I check in there? What do I do? Like really, you know, ridiculous that I, I was, you know, this 48 year old woman and I was absolutely scared beyond belief, you know? And I remember the doctor coming out and calling me in. And as I was walking in, we went into a room actually in where patients were having their chemo. And the ground literally came up to meet me. And I don't know how I didn't just hit, hit the deck. I don't know how I didn't just boom. It's the first time I've ever gotten that feeling, you know. It was just, I was so overwhelmed when I seen these people hooked up and I knew I was going to be one of them this day. I didn't know how I was going to feel. The fear of the unknown, you know, what way am I going to react? Because I was fair bad on the chemo tablet, so mm-hmm. I, I was really And worried. can I ask, did you experience the whole, they put this tray covered in plastic on your table for if you get an allergic reaction on your first chemo? Yeah. Just sit it there. Yeah. And you see that sitting there yeah. and you're like... Yeah. 
Holy Jesus. Yeah. Art can go wrong there, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's and really it's, it's scary. very scary. Do they tell you, sorry, do they tell you what the tray is for or do they just put it in front of you and don't say anything? Because you said no, they don't tell I you. I do don't you? remember them ever telling me. I don't remember them telling me. And it was either. never put on my table again. It's and probably then, for the best that they yeah, don't I think tell so. you. Yeah, I think a lot of stuff they don't tell you. But it was never put on my table again. And then on week five, I got a massive reaction to mm. Oxali Platin. Mm. And then that fucking tray came out of nowhere. Yeah. There was everything. The doctors, <laughs> yeah. there was stuff in, like this, the way they stopped that pump and yes, flush it out, yes, flush away. the chemo out of you and get all that stuff into you because mm. I was like stuck mm. in the chair. But although it was the scariest thing I'd ever experienced, I knew I was safe. Yes. Because there was so yeah. many people around me, yeah. like, but it was fucking scary. Like, yeah. see, I wasn't expecting that in week five. I thought because I'd got away with yeah. it for one, two, three, four, I was fine. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I was a bit like that because they were a little bit worried because of me being so sensitive to the radiation and the chemo tablets they were saying you know she possibly is going to have a reaction to this you know so they were prepared but um, and you were on accident you were on the yeah i was on that as well that stuff is horrendous but we were on, on the friday and we came home with the pump and uh had to go as you know to wrap mines every sunday and get it taken off yeah that you have to go every sunday even though your pump is only on every second week you have to go and get your pick changed and you were the same yourself no no Did i you only went go? every second week really? to have it removed so we never got our pick i didn't have a pick yeah the port, port is different so they just flush the ports as they're right. removing the chemo yeah. and then it doesn't get touched now i'm very self-conscious because i got a clot in my collarbone mm. in down in the fat there from this port mm. because i hadn't been accessed for for from october to mid-jan okay and i got a blood clot mm. so like katie has told me on the phone that can go three months without being flushed i don't oh, believe right. that i want okay. that flushed I'm yeah. going to give it another two weeks and then I'm going to go either to my GP, mm. the Rat Mines guys, because they've moved from Rat Mines right, to Rat 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 And they said they'll flush it after two months. Like they said after two months, where okay. she's saying three months. Okay. I'm just a little bit scared I'll get another clot. Yeah, yeah. You know, but sorry for interrupting no, you there, Glenn. But you'd have to go every Sunday and get your pick done, you know, okay. get it dressed and whatever. So every single Sunday was, it was Rat Mines first and it was Rat Can so, I ask you what a pick is like? What is it? Um, It's just, it's a little tube that goes in through your arm here and up down by your neck and into your chest and then it's just it's, it's covered over it's very well covered over you know and um, it just makes accessing your blood and giving you your chemo much more you know it's so much easier but i have such a fear of getting a clot because that was one of the things with a pick and i had such a fear of that and then i had a fear of uh, another time I wasn't too well and I ended up in Tala Hospital and they kept me in and they done a CAT scan as well but they wanted to use me pick but because it was only James that ever used the pick I wouldn't let them I said no you're not opening it up because I don't want any infection so I know that it gets opened up in James's every second week and the girls in the clinic look after it every week so you're not using it use that hand and that's the way I was mm. but uh, yeah we started on that fall fox anyway so the first weekend Grand got it off on the Sunday it wasn't feeling too bad a bit nauseous you know you can't have cold drinks, and um, so you room temperature drinks and um, the electric shocks from oh, the ice cubes and the cold, absolutely even tap water. Shocking! Oh, you nearly close up your throat. Yeah. Oh my god! I'll and never what forget happened it. was because it was January, so the weather was cold, so I couldn't even go out because because my tubes and ovaries were removed. I'm in the thick of the menopause, so I have like the night sweats, the flushes, you name it. Yeah. As you've seen here today, I am having quite a few, but. Uh, so I couldn't even walk out in the garden because the minute I go out, the tingling would be unbearable. Mm. The absolute discomfort had scarves around my neck. I couldn't, <coughs> I couldn't exhale my phone even, and I was getting. Yeah. I felt like such a. The only way geriatric is mm. all I can mm. say. Like I couldn't exhale of something yeah. I was looking at. I couldn't even take the washing, 
when I'm watching, washing is not very cold coming out of the machine but I couldn't even take that out because my fingertips would just start to tingle mm-hmm. if I went to the freezer if I went I just couldn't do it but you have to wear gloves thing, putting your hands into the freezer yeah. you actually physically have to oh wear yeah gloves. you do yeah you have to wear the gloves yeah. but the worst thing for me was the drinks the warm drinks because I had such a thirst the off the shelf intestinal you know off the shelf oh, water like yeah. boil but you I had tried no everything. choice I you tried had no everything. choice I had I actually have a little trolley at home at the side of the sofa where we'd stock it up at Lucas Aids and flavoured water, plain water. I had everything, you know, that because your taste goes all funny. So it was like some days you'd say, oh, I could have a sip of that and sip of that. I found really, really hard yeah, because drink. I had a constant thirst. I, had, hunger, I got thirst. constant bad mouths. Mm. Like, oh, my mouth. Was yeah. you, did you ever get like... Yeah, I had, yeah, I suffered with my mouth, yeah. Oh. The blisters and then I had them on the outside of my mouth and my gums. Um, but I found the BMX stuff. I did find that good. Yeah, but I only walked um, for half an hour, and then yeah, it was it over. Like so, it was really pointless. And then they gave me oromorph morphine that mm. didn't do anything. Um, but I was using the microstat and the um, the Sensi K K sensitive, whatever it's called, the, the mouthwash and salt and water. Yeah. But like it took days for my mouth to settle yeah. down. Like. Yeah, and that's the way it was. But mine never really started on the first week of the chemo. My mm. mouth job started on the second. Oh right! No, so I always had a good second week. The mouth, would, uh, the mouth would start, although mentally I would feel fine because my mind would be clear. From the first week was always really ropey, and especially the first three days. The Monday I wouldn't be able to get up out of the bed. Yeah. The Tuesday wouldn't be much better, but come the Wednesday, even though I was exhausted, I'd push myself. Yeah. To get up, have my shower, put my makeup on, put my jumper and my leggings on, and I would get as far as the settee then, and I'd be absolutely exhausted. But I made that my goal to do that. Mm. So I give this. You know, two days and then I'm up. And okay, it's so very easy far. to get stuck into that wearing your pajamas. Like I had to make a pact to myself mm. that I'd get dressed every yeah. morning, and it got to the stage where I was getting dressed before I left the bedroom mm. because if I came downstairs in my pajamas, I wasn't going to go back upstairs yeah. and get dressed. Yeah. Because you just feel. Did you get the withdrawals from the um, steroids? I'd have the shakes and everything. Well, oh, I did my have God. the shakes actually. Yeah, I would have the shakes when I, I was. Assuming, I just put that down actually to the chemo. No, I assume that was withdrawal yeah, from the steroids. Been, yeah. Like, oh my God, it was horrible. Yeah, bad shakes. I get really jittery. You know, it was it was horrible. Like it's really it's just not nice. But then I got to um, cycle three on the chemo and I went in and the doctor sat me down. He said, how are you feeling, Emer? I said, I feel grand, you know. I've got the makeup on, the hair done, you know, in you go. And he said to me, are you sure? He said, no, how do you really feel? I said, no, I feel grand. And he said to me, well, he said, your blood work is quite bad. He said, "Um, your white blood cells, he said, are, you know, dangerously low. He said, we're going to have to start on an injection. So I said, yeah, okay. He said, we won't be able to give you your chemo today. He said, we'll hold off for another week. He said, and come back in next Friday. We'll give you the prescription for the injection and take the injection um, 48 hours after um, your chemo finishes. So that was fine. So the following week, then I went and I had cycle four. And then I had to take the injection. On the Tuesday morning, I take it. Oh my God. The injection just seemed to eat me back. I couldn't walk. What the, was the injection? The neoelastic, neoelastic injections to bring up your white blood cells. Oh, so um, within like a couple of hours, by that evening, I had my I could restless legs, um, horrendous pains in my back. Um, I just couldn't settle. Mm. It was really bad. And by the we- that would be on the Tuesday, and then by the Wednesday, even though I was still in the bed, the pains would be quite bad. The Thursday, you'd get up, and you could barely walk. Like it's so bad. So when I went back, then I said to them, "Look, they asked me if you any back pain." I said, "Yeah, really bad." So. That comes with it, they said, you know, a lot of people are complaining with the, the neoelastic cause and that. But anyway, it was doing its job because the white blood cells were up when I went back the following uh, fortnight after. Then uh, cycle five, 
was cycle cycle three cycle four then was a, we were a week late getting it done and then we went in and then my platelets were on the floor so then it had to be stopped again so they said no we need to give you another week we need to pull that up and what can happen he said sometimes is the knee elastic can eat away at the platelets so I said okay so you're giving me one thing for something and you know there's, there's damage being done but it's always the case you know but anyway so cycle five then I went in but in between that I was having really bad pins and needles in my hands and my feet and I start getting like a paralysis of the face and my eye is going stiff and like rigid and stuff so on the I had to explain to them like about cycle three and four that look I'm getting the pins and needles because they always ask you about it, being on the fall fox yeah yeah and me being me not it's too bad it's called neurological or something isn't yeah, it like it just affects your nerves so I said look it's not too bad you know it's, it's like it's bearable and all you know so again I should just be you know out straight and say look this is really it's uncomfortable and but you don't want to be a moan you know well like that was like the day I had to tell you to say to them about being feeling breathless remember I said yeah, say to them because yeah, you weren't going to I wasn't like, going to no you're so stubborn oh it's just yeah it is stubborn you don't, you don't really want to be a hindrance no, to people I just, don't I just you get not? in get it done get home do the job and like you know I'm happy but um, on the five anyway I went in how are you feeling grand how's the pins and needles I said I'm waiting to tell you I said um, me, free, me face I said is going paralysed. Well, he just looked at me, put the pen down, he said, what? I said, I'm getting paralysis in my face and my eyes and everything are going rigid, I can't blink. I said, so he said, oh, do you know what? So he said, look, I'm gonna have a chat with Galler and uh, we're waiting on your bloods anyway. And I said, look, I'm going to head home. I said, I can't stay here anymore. I can't sit out in that corridor, I said, for all them hours. I said, because seriously, I said, I'm having heart palpitations out there. I said, I'm gonna end up having to see a cardiologist at this rate. I said, sitting out there, I said, because the stress levels is through the roof. So I'm going to head home, and I said, I'll find out what time I have to come back at. So they rang me at home and said, Emer, look, from today, because they were thinking about reducing the, the Oxali plan, from today, you're off the Oxali plan, and that's it. Well, I tell you the difference, the difference with that gone out of mm. the chemo. Um, I was able to have a cold drink, which meant the world to me. I was able to have an ice cube in it, which is just, you know, really brilliant. Yeah. Um, I wasn't as sick. I didn't feel as bad. It was still bad, and I was still to the bed the Monday, the Tuesday. But the neolastic injection was the killer. Mm-hmm. That ended up then doing like really bad damage to me because that I couldn't go out, I couldn't walk, I couldn't stand up straight. Really? Oh, really bad. And that would only go into sort of midweek of the second week, and I'd be ready to go back on the pump again on the on the Friday. Yeah. But it was just a case of grin and bear it because it was doing its job and it was keeping the mm. white cells up. So um, then I went on, that was cycle five. Cycle seven, I went in and, no, I ended up, I went to the girls in Raffarnham. They were doing me pick. And they said to me, how's everything been? You know, and I said, yeah, grand. I said, girls, I said, I'm getting a bit of discomfort. I said, in my arm all the week. I said, no, I don't know. I said, I didn't bang it or anything. I said, I'm very careful with it. But I said, it's, you know, it's enough for me to say it to you. So therefore I know, you know, that it's an eye me. So when they undressed it, they said, Emer, it looks very swollen and red. We'd like you to go to the A&E from here. It was a Sunday. I said, oh, not again. Everything is the A&E. So anyway, I said, grand. Do you have the experience in A&E where they won't deal with you because you're a chemo patient? They bring you and put you so into a So they bring you in room. and put you into a room and but say, I've, wait for oncology. And I've, I've never really been waiting. I have to say, they've been always really, I've yeah. been very lucky. I've always been dealt with really quickly. So it was the bank holiday weekend. Is this Tally you would have went to? No, no, James, oh, is for everything. Okay. This was the first bank holiday weekend. And uh, he said to me, yeah, it does look a bit red. And look, we've look, we no scans, but we'll keep you in. Start you on the Klexin. Oh, what's that stuff called? Yeah. Klexin. Klexin. And um, 
we'll, we'll keep you monitored, you know. So they kept me in anyway. And on the Monday, the bank called him and they said, look, I, I want to go home. This is no point keeping me here. I'm taking up a bed. So they gave me the Klexin to bring home. They said, right, there's one for two tomorrow in the morning and then get your prescription. But they rang me then the following morning. The doctor that had admitted me on the Sunday said, they let you home last night. Like, what's, you know, I need you back in here. We need to do a vascular scan on you. So I was sent into the private clinic in Luke's to have the vascular scan done. So they'd done that anyway, but they'd no baseline scan to say whether I had a clot here in the first place, but there was a swelling and there was a redness and a tenderness. So they'd done the vascular scan anyway, they said no, there was no sign of anything. And Zach came out to me when I went back to oncology and he said to me, Emer, you can stop taking the Klexin. Um, there's no sign of the clot there and whatever else. So I was delighted, went home, grand. So um, my sister kept saying to me, that's not right. You know, they should have they should have had a baseline scan and they should have another scan and compared it and all. I just don't feel that, they, you know, they should have let you just stop taking the Klexine and home with you. Mm. So then I went in for cycle eight, which was the 13th of May. Myself and Linda's last cycle was the same time, same day. And on that Thursday, I had my friend was over and my daughter was there and I was having a conversation with her, but I kept running out of breath. And I did feel a little bit through the week that I was, you know, going up the stairs, I was panting a little bit. And I was like, what is this all about? This chemo has me in bits. So anyway, talking to Linda and another lady in James's, and I said, uh, just a little bit breathless, Linda, you know? So anyway, Linda went in to have her um, chemo and I went in to see the doctor. And I said, I was in my mind, I was saying, tell him about your breathlessness. Then I was saying, no, I'm not, because this fella is going to stop me chemo again. This is my last chemo. I've already had three stops. I don't need another one. I need to have this finished. This should have been finished like the beginning of April. We're now the 13th of May. So I was like, you know, battling with myself. Will I tell him? Will I not? How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Zach, not a bother on me. He said, you look great. You know, how is everything? Your blood work? He said, it's just over what we needed to be. So, you know, we can go ahead with the chemo. So I said to him, look, I don't know if this is worth mentioning to you. I said, but I'm very out of breath, I said, since yesterday. I said, well, probably since probably Wednesday. I said, but yesterday I found it very hard to hold a conversation. I said, I'll finish a sentence without taking a deep breath. So we put the pen down, the magical pen, put that down. And he said to me, no, we haven't suffered with that before. So I think he said, today we're going to have to do an x-ray, number one. I said, I don't have an infection because I know if I'd have a chest infection. He said, no, but we need to check that. And we need to make sure that's clear before I can send you for it. A cat scan. So I says, Oh, for God's sake, I said. So this means then I said, This is off again today. Now, the first time I really was, you know, losing it, you know. So he said to me, Look, he said, The chances are it's going to come back clear. He said, And if it comes back clear, he said, You will have your chemo today. I said, Zach, look, this is my last one. I said, I hate mentioning anything to you because everything I said is, you know, stop the chemo, scans, everything's a big hullabaloo, the AME. I said, I'm absolutely sick of it. So he said to me, but Amy, this is your life. I said, I know. I said, but I just want to, you know, start moving on with it. I just seem to be stuck here. I said, this is my fourth time now that this is going to be stopped. So he said, look, we'll just do the scans and see how we get on. So the x-ray is right down the end of the hospital. So I walked down, got the x-ray done, came back up. He came out, we said, x-ray is clear. So we have a CAT scan for you for quarter to two. So he said, look, you're going to be here for the day. I said, it doesn't matter. I'm here 12 hours every second Friday anyway. Mm. So at least now I have something to do. So he says, we'll go back down, he said, and... Uh, Quarter to two, he said, and have the CAT scan. So I walked back down for the CAT scan, got in, got it done. Walking back up, I said, Jesus, I can't really breathe. So barely could make it up the stairs, up to oncology. Got up, sat outside on the chair. So I was sitting, waiting, just, I was falling asleep and dozing, but I was really starting to pant for air. I just couldn't really get anything in at all. So again, the masks don't help. So Zach came out and he said, you know, I'm still waiting. And I said, gave him the thumbs up, you know, yeah. So he came out to me at 20 past four and he says to me, um, Emer, and I got up and got me back and I got to him and I said, Zach, I can't breathe. 
And he said, no, he said, you have a, a PE, pulmonary embolism. He said, you have a clot in your lung. So I said, and I was like, <gasps> at that stage, I could not breathe. So thank God I did say it yeah. because things could have been so, so much different. I was in the right place at the right time. So um, I got an injection. Um, I was on oxygen. I was up in the bed within 20 minutes, up in the Donald Hollywood ward. Um, I was, now I have to say, I didn't realise the seriousness of it at the time because, again, I'm just like, as I keep saying, she's just get on with it. This has to be done, it has to be sorted. Like, if you're not on your knees and you're not you're not confined to the bed ill, we don't look at ourselves as no, really sick, don't no, we? No, we don't. We have to be really fucking yeah. sick, sick, like. And then they put the oxygen on, I was saying to myself, this is all really unnecessary, you know? But then I couldn't breathe, like. So it did help. So I got up um, the early hours of the morning. I went in and I had my shower, put my makeup on, the usual, back into the bed, oxygen back on, sitting in the bed. They came around on their rounds and uh, it was that Indian doctor. I don't know her. Do you know the girl that was? Yeah, I don't know her. I don't know her. Name. Name. I only she met her once. She's lovely. Yeah, she's lovely with another lad. And uh, she says to me, Emer, you know, and she said, oh, you know, this hour of the morning and I, I was sitting up in the bed all sorted and ready. And I said to her, look, I'm ready to go home. So as I'm talking to her, I was still trying to get the words out. So she said, Emer, no, you're still, you know, quite breathless and um, I'd like to keep you here for another day, she said, just to say, and if tomorrow, she said, your breathing is any way better. So about lunch hour, I did feel an awful lot better on myself. So I said, you know what, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go out for a walk. I'm going to take this oxygen off and I'm going to go outside, walk around and see how I feel. So I was able to walk slowly around the grounds and I'd done it twice and I was fine when I got back. So I went up and I said, could you ask the doctor, can I go home? I said, I'm after doing a walk. I said, and I feel confident enough that I can go home and do these injections at home. I said, you're keeping me here just for an injection. I said, and you just need to show me how to do this and I can do them at home. And if I'm going to be on these for a couple of months, I'm going to know how to do them anyway. So right enough, that's what they did. So I went home then in the afternoon and um, that was it. I had to wait obviously till the following week to have my chemo. So I went in then, finished my chemo then. I had my last one connected on the 20th of uh, May and it came off me on the 22nd then I had a CAT scan on the 23rd and got a phone call on the 24th which was the Tuesday from urology to say that uh, my CAT scan results had showed that I have a swelling in my kidney and a blockage in one of the tubes from a kidney stone was I aware I had a kidney stone I said I was I said a couple of days before I got diagnosed I said in October I knew that I had a kidney stone because the doctor had told me because I was really bad in pain with it and I said the first CAT scans showed that was three millimetres and they said I would pass it myself. So it's now gone to seven millimetres and it's blocking the tube so it has to be, they have to remove it and I have a couple of little ones as well. So we said look, we said we have a four week window to do this so we'll get this done, you know. So I said great, so that was on the Tuesday. So then last week I had an MRI and then today I had a consultation with O'Riordan about my operation. So that's where I am at the moment, that's the whole lead up to today yeah so next will be so tell us about last week your conversation with Gallagher and all of that Do you want to talk about oh, yeah, that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I went into because um, I think you got calls from the nurses first and then you saw Gallagher was that that was yes uh, last Wednesday I was out having lunch and one of the colorectal nurses rang me and said that on the CAT scan there was no on the MRI sorry there was no visual sign of my tumour which can mean that it's what they call a CR, a complete revision. Now, with a complete revision, you can opt, obviously, when they go in and do the, the this test they're doing on Monday for the... Sigmoidometry? Yeah, the sigmoidometry. Um, to see around the tumour site if there's any cells there. Um, 
if there's cells there, it's it's a no-brainer, you know, you're having the operation. But if there was no cells there, you have an option to watch and wait. So, of course, immediately I was delighted with that. It was a light at the end of my tunnel. I was saying, oh, God, no operation, no anaesthetic, no nothing. So, again, I was in company, so you didn't want to be saying anything and the place where you were. So I came home and I thought about it and I said, Jesus, I said, no, that's not going to work for me because I have trouble with my back passage since the radiation. Um, I have uh, the muscle doesn't work the way it should do. I have to keep my stools permanently loose so that it, you know your bowel, when your bowel opens, that it's not horrific for me to go. Um, and when you have to go, I don't get a sensation that I have to go. It just it's there, and you need to use a bathroom. You can't hold it in. You need to go. So I was saying, oh, that's not going to really work because as it is, it's inhibiting on my life, you know. So then I said, no. And then you can't be sure if the cancer's really gone. So I start thinking about because weren't you saying to me that you're, if you were taking laxative. You couldn't take it if you had plans the next oh, no, day no. because... that's right. Yeah. If, like, I was going to see Gallagher on the Friday, so I couldn't take the laxative on the Thursday because the last thing you want to be doing is, is looking for a toilet when you're going in to see a doctor consultation. Yeah. So I made my decision then on the when I came home and I was thinking about it and I said, no, this is not for me. You know, this is... It has to be the plan. I mean, my plan was in three stages and we're following through and that's just that. So I went in to see Gallagher on the Friday and I just told him very clearly that I wasn't prepared to do a watch and wait. The watch and wait is a two-year program. Um, every 12 weeks, you get one of those sigmoid oppities <laughs> and uh, MRIs. And I just said, no, I, I'm not prepared to do that. I'm watching enough as it is with the brackaging. Yeah. So when I went into him, I just had a chat with him and I went in quite assertive because I was thinking maybe they want me to sway to the other way of doing a watch and wait because, you know, I am only 48, I'm a young woman. My busy mammy, you know, and at this Tell age... Tell us about the results of your MRI. My MRI was... I, I said it, that there's no, there was no visual sign yeah, of the tumour. Yeah, okay, you, they can't find the tumour. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So, um, and they need to do this test on Monday to make sure that the tumour isn't there and that there's nothing going on around it. So, um, you've thrown me off there now. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, you're all right. Uh, yeah, so I went into Gallagher anyway and I just said to him, look, um, watch and wait is not an option for me. I said... Um, I just feel, I said that it's coming three stages, it needs to be done. I want this gone out of my body. You've no way of being 100% sure that this is going to be gone unless it's taken out. Um, I have too many things to be looking for. And I just said to him, look, I'm living with a load of gun as it is. Mm. And I'm not going to be the one to pull the trigger, you know, to be negligent with my own body. I said, only for I listened to my body and I listened to my gut instinct. I could be sitting across from you, I said, in a very different situation today. Because I came through the doors of James's in August, I said. And James has sent me over here and said I was okay. Mm. And I said, only that I listened to my body then when I came back off holiday and I went to my doctor. I said, it was Tala then that picked yeah. up on it and it was Tala that found it, I said. So I said, I don't want to be one of them that you take your eye off the ball. And then before you know, I'm sitting here and you're saying to me, we're really sorry, your cancer is back, but it's back in X, Y, and Z. Mm. I said, no. I said, no, I know this is not a guarantee that I won't get cancer somewhere else. Because he told, I remember when he sat, I'll never forget the time. I remember ringing the girls, ringing everyone, because he told me they couldn't find any cancer. That mm. in my liver or bell on the MRI or the CT, and we were going to have to signify mm. my damage. So I was saying, I've no cancer, it's gone. The chemo has worked. Mm. Two to be known, it was still there. It yeah. just wasn't coming up on the scans. Like well, that. I did say that to him that today. That was a kick in the teeth. Yeah, like. definitely. I said that to him today. Is there a possibility, I said, when you go in on Monday because of your story, and I was keeping that in my mind. And that's sort of in the forefront of my mind as well. But not that it matters whether it's there or not. It's gone. 
you know, so it doesn't yeah. matter. But um, he said, oh, most definitely we could go in, he said, and that the tumour could be still there, he said, it's just not visible on the screen. So, you know, but um, I seen them. So Gallagher actually, he was quite nice. He, I don't know really what to expect with him because he's quite an abrupt man, but he was quite nice. And I just told him, I said, look, you know, the situation. He's just straight to the point. There's no bullshit. You know, that's what you want, you know. So he just said to me that um, I'm passed on now to O'Riordan. And by the looks of things, that I have responded very well to the treatment. And you're discharged from oncology. And he said to me, I hope I never see it again. And I said, the feeling's mutual. And he said, no, this is in a good way. And we start laughing. And I said, yeah, great. So I had to go to O'Riordan this morning then um, to meet with him. And I had to have a sort of similar conversation with O'Riordan. But with him being the surgeon, he went through everything that has to be done um, with the operation. And he also spoke about the watch and wait for me because he has to give me both sides. So he gave me what Gallagher gave me if they don't find anything. It means then that, you know, it was what they call um, a complete revision, a CR. Only 3% of people that walk through the doors with that get this complete revision. But he also told me again that he, even though if there's no cells around that, he couldn't be 100% sure to tell me that it's not anywhere. Mm. So... I just said to him, I said, look, maybe, I said, if I didn't have the BRCA gene, maybe if I hadn't have had a mold removed, maybe if I didn't have a lump removed down my breast some years ago, I said, I might be sitting here in it with, it, with a different mindset, you know. Mm. I said, Mammy's history is, one of Mammy's sisters died of rectal cancer, and then a couple of others in the family with Bell, and then one with a melanoma that had spread. So I had said to him, you know, taking all that into account, and the fact that the cancer I got it's nothing got to do with my BRCA gene. Mm. It doesn't come under the um, the, the umbrella, as I call it, the BRCA2 gene. Mm. I said, but I said, um, you know, unfortunately I said, that's the, way, that's the way it went, I got it. So I said, taking all that into account, I said, there is no way that I'm doing a watch and wait. Mm. I said, the last thing I want is to be put under the knife. I am absolutely petrified of anesthesia. I hate hospitals, I said, I hate everything to do with it, I said. But at the end of the day, I said, I spent seven and a half months, I said, fighting through this, I said. And, you know, some days were really, really bad, I said. And I'm not, you know, going to wobble on the last hurdle, I said. My treatment came in three stages and we're following through with this, I said. And this is the way it is. Mm -hmm. I said, so you're going in, you're going to take what needs to be taken out, I said. So he looked at me and he said, that's no problem. And he went through all the, the format of the operation, done a diagram and the whole lot. Then said to me that because of my blood clot, it would be quite risky, you know. Um, I've gained a good bit of weight since um, the chemo, and I've gained it on my, my stomach. So, you know, I have a pudgy stomach, which I will try to do something about, hopefully. Me too. Um, before, you know, before the op. But we went through, and he has to give you all the worst cases, you know. He has to give you the percentages of, of the risks and stuff. But again, when he finished talking to me, and when I just made my decision quite clear to him as well, they're having their multidisciplinary meeting on Thursday, so they will discuss my case on Thursday. Um, he said that, you know, it will go ahead. So I told him about the damage to the my back passage and stuff. And then he got up, you know, and he, he did say, look, you're, you know, for you, it's the right decision. You know, they can't mm -hmm. tell you to go with the operation or do the watch and wait. It's up to you. But both Gallagher and himself said, for my situation, and, you know, it's, it's the right decision. So then he left and then the nurse was ch chatting to me, the colorectal nurse in Talent, she was chatting to me and she was just saying that he, he was originally talking about maybe, you know, doing a reversal. But she was saying to me that the damage that's done to my back passage, that a reversal could be worse because the muscle is gone, hmm. you know, and it's not going to come back, yeah. it's, it's damaged forever. So if he was to do a reversal, 
you know, and she and her exact words was, you'd be shitting everywhere, you know, <laughs> and I just was like, what are you know, and I just, okay, you know, so she said, if you're getting a permanent bag, it comes from your large intestine, so it's, it's what you're used to, she said, it's more, you know, what you're familiar with, what you would pass yourself, if it's a re- one that they're going to do a reverse on it, it's from your small intestine, which she said, you have that smelly, acidy, liquidy stuff, you know, she said, so mm. it's different, so you need to be very clear. But she said, I think she said with your difficulties with the radiation that, you know, getting a bag that you can reverse wouldn't really work for you. Hmm. So she said, how do you feel about that? So I just said to her, look, I said, when I was told this back in October, I said, and I went to see Dr. Gillum. Dr. Gillum said, you know, they were removing my rectum. And I said, what? He's the radiation, radiation doctor. doctor yeah. And I said, removing what? And he said, your rectum. And he was looking at me like, you know, have you not heard this before? And I said, well, nobody actually said that, I said. But I said, look, I said, if they're removing your rectum, I said, well, then that's it. I said, that's a bag, you know, and it's a bag for life. Mm. Because you can't put a new rectum in, you know. Mm. It, it just can't be done. So he said, he's looking at me like, yeah, you know, yeah. And I said, all right. So I've sort of been thinking about that since October. So in my mind, my rectum was being removed. So I was going to be left with a permanent bag. Mm. So again, as I said to her today, I said, when I found out with the BRCA gene and I found that I was in such a high percentage of having the cancer with the, with the estrogen, I said it was a no-brainer for me to say ovaries out, mastectomy. Mm. So I said now I have active cancer in my rectum, so it's a no-brainer, take it out. Take it out. I am not even mm. want to be in a 1% chance that that can grow back. Living my life every 12 weeks to come in and get poked and prodded for the next two years. And then I said, you know, down the road if it came back, I said, this operation is going to be inevitable. Mm. No. For the year or the two years that I would spend worried sick about it growing back, I said, and that's if no cells come back on the biopsies next Monday, I said, of a growing back, I would well have that bag mastered. Yes, it's a different way of living. Yeah, of it's going to be a huge change of life. Mm. But at least I have my life. Yeah. At least I'm here. You know, I'm 48. I have a young family. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you because mm. I don't want to not bring, like, talk about the, the other two things that I want to talk about. Mm. How did your family... Um, react when they heard this back in October that I mean obviously Al, you probably spoke to your family about the mm. BRCA gene but then um, when you were diagnosed with rectal cancer how did your family respond or react or because it is a ripple effect email. oh definitely like, it's not just us like mm. it's everybody else around yeah. us and it impacts everyone really yeah. differently you know you have people who back off you have people who become overpowering and then you have people who are traumatised because mm. they think you're going to die yeah. tomorrow like you yeah. know so it, it's hard I think again I'm very logical you know and I'm very much you know this has to be dealt with and you know and there should was be no you and Ed doing this podcast <laughs> and two logical <laughs> there heads there was no hysteria you know there was yeah. tears and there was no hysteria and I'm sure you know my mum and my sister and my daughter and the whole I'm sure they've had their moments but in front of me because yeah. they seen how strong I was holding it together it was a bit like well if if she's the one that mm. has it and she can be so strong, there's no way we're going to buckle. Mm. So I'm sure that's, you know, behind closed doors that it was a different situation, yeah. you know, and I, and I get that. Um, Sarsha, my eldest daughter now, she's, you know, she was devastated, you know, and, and she just, like, like them all, you know, she loves her mammy, but she just kept saying to me, mammy, you know, if, if, if you can do it, you know, and you, you can be so positive, well, then the rest of us need to do it, you know, so... Um, Reese and Blonnet, my two younger children, both have additional needs. So with Blonnet, Blonnet is nine now, she was nine in April. Um, I kicked into, when I found out, it wasn't really about me at the start, it was about we have to get stuff in place for the children because... Yeah, I was the same. 
it was all about that you know getting social stories for Blonnet explaining it Blonnet is very black and white so she needs proper information there's no point in giving her you know stories and so we done a social story with the help of her school and we done the radiation machine and we showed her and what it does and we explained it as best we could for the you know for her age mm. but she's an extremely intelligent kid but still she is only she was eight at the time she was only eight and an emotional age you know and um, she found looking at the pick in my arm very hard because that was a permanent reminder that mommy's not well mm. that there's something going on and things changed in the house the routine changed and children on the spectrum they like their routine you know, so mummy was up every day. The girls were in. There was different people bringing her to school and picking her up. Yeah. You know, she didn't like the change. She didn't like the days when I was in bed. I remember the first chemo session I had, she sat on the bedroom floor. I actually got into her bed because my room, for some reason, was closing in on me. So I got into her bed and uh, I was lying in the bed. She sat on the floor and she just stared at me for hours. And I said, no, I can't have this. There's no way. So what I done was on the second week leading up to each cycle, I would organise for her to be busy the Monday, the Tuesday and the Wednesday so she was out of the house as much as possible. Yeah. So we had play dates, we had my friends take her, we had, you know, there was always something organised for her to get her from school mm. and don't bring her back to the evening time, mm. you know, just to make things a little bit easier for her. Um, and she's still struggling, you know, like she was crying before school this morning because she knew I had another hospital appointment. But, you know, I said to her, like, you know, this is going to get better, you know. Mm. Um, Reese's answer to everything is, you know, are you going to die? Are you going to die, ma'am? You know, and if no, no, I hope I'm not going to die. I will die someday. But hopefully, you know, not now. This is not my time. Um, I'm working very hard not to, you know, and we're doing what we can to get through the other side of this. And I do still have an operation. And it's very mixed in the house. You yeah. know, the children are... They I both think once mine seen physically that I was up and out. I don't think, I don't think my family now even think about cancer because they don't see it. Yeah. You know, when yeah. I was very sick with mm. my liver resection, my kids saw that and yeah. they should have never seen me that yeah. sick yeah. ever. Yeah. Like my Lola never left my side. Yeah. And when I went into hospital, she lay in my bed every day mm. on my side of the bed. Yeah. It sounds real dramatic, but it's the truth. No, but watching yeah. um, watching Netflix. So that's why I wanted to ask yeah. you that. And secondly, did you link in with like any like supports like ARC or the cancer support? No, I tell support? you, you mentioned ARC to me uh, when we were Amazing in James's and I actually rang them and it rang out and I left a message and they rang me back and I missed the call and then I rang them back and for some reason my phone, the interference, I don't know if it was my phone or their phone because it's a, a mobile It can phone. happen, their phone, is an interference. Yeah, keep definitely. Yeah, ringing them back. So I was trying to explain and she like she couldn't hear me and stuff so that was sort of the, the week of my last cycle. So I've just been so busy with scans yeah, and then course, in between the scans I also had to have a mammogram done had that last Friday. Plus last Tuesday, I had to have my breast examination. And then Monday, I was in radiation. And then Wednesday, I was talent. So I don't know whether I'm coming or going. So I will definitely link with ARC. But I had organised um, a little bit of counselling for Blonnet. And True. ARC do play therapy, 12 sessions for them. Brilliant. And I, my kids had that and they really benefited from it, like yeah. I have to say. Well, do you know what? I'm going to put that on my list now for the morning that I, mm. I'll bring them back again. Yeah, you and could ring, uh, I'd ring the one in Eccles Street. That's the one I did Because there's one in South Circle and yeah. there's one somewhere else. But the one in in, so in Eccles Street seems to be the main one. Yeah. But um, what I wanted to ask you was, mm. since you came off treatment, so you've had no treatment similar to me, yeah. right? How have you been feeling? Absolutely fantastic. Really? As in mentally. Yeah. Clearer. My brain is clearer. My mouth was really sore up to only Like Gandhi's flip-flopping. Oh, oh Jesus, I, I know. You're licking the floor nearly. I had blisters all over the place. Yeah. So it was really uncomfortable. But 
every day I feel mentally that you know I it's just I'm mentally strong but it, I'm yeah. mentally clear but the fatigue I can't yeah. understand the fatigue I just can't bear it it's yeah. just I get up in the morning I would say I'm not sleeping at night so that's another thing yeah so I'm up all night and then with the result by two o'clock in the day you're exhausted so then you're trying to drag yourself from two o'clock to you know get the children to yeah. bed and do whatever and by the time you get to bed that's it you're you're awake mm. again so I'm just finding that really hard. That I do I'm something. thinking I need to maybe give them a ring or can you just bear with me for one second? Mm-hmm. I think I need to give them a ring because I, since I finished my um, chemo, I've had diarrhea mm. and I've had to stop my diarrhea medication because that's not causing it. My body is causing it. Mm. So every time I eat, I go to the toilet, I'm in a lot of lower back pain. Right. Now, but my CT, see, the thing about it is, if I ring them, they're going to go, but your CT scan is fine, yeah. like, you yeah. know? Let me mouth to settle down mm. and all of that. Um, but the but I do pain. Think, I do think the diarrhea is one of the side effects. Of I, but, like, the, the one, it's a side effect that's still going. Like, but it's remember, weird, remember you know? when you finish your chemo, it doesn't finish there. It's like radiation. Yeah. It still works through your body. Yeah. And I haven't had a tingling on my hands and feet since they took me off the, the oxyclatin on five so about it did happen for a couple of weeks after that but mm. i haven't had it in weeks and there on saturday my fingers and yeah. the balls of my feet never stopped tingling all day and again i couldn't take washing out the machine because one of my one of my symptoms have been because i was how i was diagnosed was the pressure of my bum mm. it's come back right because i'm not on treatment right um and then the diarrhea and the back pain but like the diarrhea is daily that it's got like last week I went yeah, to get the light. Yeah. I still haven't got the Dioralite. Uh, I, I need down. to um, up my sodium levels because right. I, I attend endocrinology, which is your like sodium, potassium, mm. magnesium. So it's a team that works with all that. It's around the kidneys because I suffer with like kind of fluctuating sodium and it's right. very dangerous. Right. So all of this diarrhea is going to lead to my sodium dropping. Mm. So I'm going to have to take Dioralite or do something. Right. But I just wondered... You know, did you have any, like, I don't know. Well, you see, I was the opposite of the chemo. They did say that the chemo can cause um, the diarrhoea. Mm. But I was the complete But I never opposite. had it on. Well, I did actually have it yeah. on. I'd be lying it now. It bummed me up to bits. Yeah. With the result, I have to take laxatives to make me go. Mm. You know, well, on the going. 9th of July, Professor Gallagher um, told me that I needed to take two more. Well, he said six. I'd have never been off the toilet. No. Like I'd have been about two stone. Yeah. But he said to me I needed to take six Mofacol every day to keep my bell soft so then it wasn't hard and it wasn't going to rupture the, the tumour. Yeah. And I got that. So religiously, with, with one or two, maybe three breaks from it, I've took Mofacol two at night for the last, we're talking nearly a year. Yeah. But I find that when I stop taking the Mofacol, my bell stops working. Right. So my bell doesn't need to become reliant yes, I think on a laxative now, yeah. you know. Yeah. But... Um, I haven't took it this week because I can't because I'm fucking diarrhea anyway yeah, yeah. and that's just going to make me even worse than yeah. going out to walk then it's embarrassing like mm. and we have a disabled toilet and walking the door wouldn't lock and I was like oh my god if anyone comes into this toilet yeah, now yeah. and I'm yeah. pebble dashing the walls yeah. like it's going to be mortifying like you know see, oh, that's <laughs> that's, judo, like, they get you that's the reality <laughs> fuck off do you know what they need to actually get me? Do you know what I need to get into this house? No even word of a lie. And I don't mean to be vile. And I'm, sometimes we shy away from this kind of stuff. I need a B-day. I need yeah. to be able to sit on it and they're, have my ass washed. They're brilliant. Yeah. Have you yeah. used one before? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Way brilliant. years ago. But I, when you, I think when you have bell cancer, you need When you go to them. Spain and stuff, all the hotels yeah, and your parents have them. Yeah. I need to get... I should have shares in Jack's role and I should have shares in Domestos. 
because they're the two things that I spend me fucking money on. I'm telling you now. Well, I'm using the, the, the wipes, the flushable wipes. The Andrex ones? Absolutely, they're brilliant. Yeah, because they're... It, it, Tyler Roll now, it's just, I just don't feel it's clean enough. That's me. what I mean. Like, so you, yeah, need, so you need a bee day. So not only are you cleaning yourself, you're washing yourself yes, as well. Do the wipes, they're fantastic. You know, oh, maybe, no, yeah. I'll be bringing a pack of them in my bag for next Monday. Just don't do just don't do baby whips. They they'll block yeah. the toilet. Yeah, I get in trouble for that. Them, yeah. Yeah. But you know, oh, when I had my sigmoidometry, I had no clue what was going on. But they said, no, you don't need to fast, and you know, it's not like a colonoscopy. It's mm. grand, and I went in, and it was grand. Yeah, I'm not yeah, The only about thing is, they shove an emmet up your ass, and then they leave you there, hold that for five minutes, and then you're just you just run and it's like what the heck like and then it's all fine yeah. but the funniest thing is they put you into a ward with about 10 other people and all the nurses keep going let it out let it out and everyone's farting because the thing blows you up with wind when the know. camera goes yeah. in but the nurses are there like two and just let it out just let it out and I walked home from James's and the cramps just like windy cramps yeah, yeah. in me tummy I was like mortified in the bed just let it out there Oh, come here. Yeah, oh, tooting and tooting and tooting. No. I, I don't like, want to think about it. You know. <laughs> but look, is there anything else, Ed? Uh, no, I think that's everything. I think we've we've done a lot. We've talked about a lot today. Mm. Amazing story. You're an amazing woman. Like, we've become really close <laughs> yeah, over time, right? And I'm yeah. so fond of you. But you're so such a funny woman, mm. right? That you just, like, you make me laugh so much. <laughs> but then you're so positive, like... And if I had half your positivity... Because sometimes I can really delve into the negative, like my my mindset can go there. And I haven't really been like that for a while, but I think since my not great news yeah. three weeks ago, I am bordering on more negativity than I was, you know? But like what I so said to you last night. it's good that like, you just make yeah. me laugh. What well, I said to you last night, you know, you're allowed to have yeah. those moments. You and know, then, you feel, then you feel shit for no, like, having those we're moments. We're not machines, you know? we're human beings, we have feelings, yeah. you know? And sometimes when you're sitting in a quiet place, you know, your mind does go to dark yeah. places, but it's pulling yourself out. It's okay to go there. It's yeah. okay to acknowledge it. It's getting out there. It's okay to cry. Yeah. But then when you do that, you have to just say, no, come here, cut the crap yeah. now, come on. Because that's not going to get us anywhere. No, I know. You know? Yeah, I know. So it's like, as I said from day one, pull this by the balls and run with it. Yeah. And that's what I'm doing. And I'm crashing every wall in between it because I'm going nowhere. Yeah. I'm 48 and I have a lot of living to do. I just this wish I went into. Take me out. I just wish I went into Gallagher and said, "Come here, we're doing the surgery." With the well, look, the him go, no, time, it's not happening. Like. The next time, be more. Oh, I, 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 I will. Oh, I will. Have your questions. This is your body. And you used to always have questions, but yeah. on this day, I was so set that our next step, like you, because mm. I, yeah. I had a plan, and Eddie said, "Oh, yes. was it really your plan?" We do have plans. Yes. Tell Ed, don't we, Ed? Just in case you'll believe me and think I'm making up. Mm-hmm. I knew my next steps was. Yeah radiation and surgery and that was pulled from yeah. underneath me yeah now maybe it's only pulled from underneath me for a period of time i think it is i think but it's still hurts it's the like, unknown of yeah. course and they're, they're leaving you a limbo yeah. and then you, know? you start to think oh my god am i on this five-year bomb because i'm already a year through it yeah. because that's but that's you know that's the human side yeah but then you have to just turn around sometimes when stuff gets too hard for you you just have to hand it over yeah you know sometimes when i get overwhelmed i just say you know Archangel Michael, please, you need to take this yeah. because this is just too much. Oh, I wouldn't can't even fucking this. remember his name by the time I got like that. I don't know. Because I tell you, when I got into the MRI machine last week and I don't like confined spaces, you know, and I had said, but the first time I, I got, I was in it for the whole time. I kept saying, don't open your eyes, don't open your eyes. Yeah, just breathe. I'm I the same. Was talking to myself and I kept saying, you've killed the kids for this. Because you tell them to close your eyes and don't open your eyes. But anyway, this time around, I was going in and I said to him, look, I, mean, I get a little bit panicky, so I'm going to lie down here, I'm going to close my eyes, and then I don't want you to speak to me after that. So he said to me, right, no problem. 
I'm lying back and what did I do? I opened my eyes all the way into the tunnel and I thought I was going to absolutely freak out. I could actually feel my legs oh, levitating. Yeah. I was going to start kicking the thing and all. And I was lying, I, was, I couldn't breathe, I was palpitating and I, was, I said to myself, come on, come on, this is ridiculous. You're 48 years of age, you have to get this done. If he pulls you out, you're not going to get back into it. I know. But I was really, really panicking and I just said, Archangel Michael, please take this from me because this is just too much in this confined space. I closed my eyes and a song came on to give you earphones a song came on it's an oldie and I just tuned into the song and then that was it yeah I just got a calmness I think it was, I either, it was flight or fright yeah. with me at that stage like years ago when I had my first scan mm. I pressed the ball after 8 minutes and he mm. begged me just to stay there yeah. so the, my first scan I panicked she wanted to put something in my arm and I wouldn't let her and she mm. got really annoyed at me um, but it wasn't that bad I was just really it was when I was just diagnosed I was so it was before I was diagnosed we were doing the tests so every I, now every time I get into a scan, I just close my eyes. Yeah. Just close my yeah. eyes, and the only one that makes me a bit, a bit nauseous is the PET scan. You haven't had any of them, have you? Because you go in, you don't move, but the machine moves, yeah. and you just feel ropey, like mm. and it, it might be there because they give you that radiation, yeah, that you know, the, yeah. and it goes through your whole body yeah. for an hour before yeah. you'd have to scan mm. that kind of. But like I always close my eyes because I know when if I open it and a laser or something catches mm. my eye, mm. I'll end up with a fucking migraine. Yeah. And I don't want that, like, yeah. so. Yeah. So, yeah. But look, listen. You really are, isn't she? Some woman for one woman. You really are. I don't think it's, you realise how, no. how strong you are. Like. Yeah, and, like, this stuff. Like, I just, I, I love hearing everyone else's different stories because, obviously, I know your story inside mm. and out now. And, like, I've kind of been spending, I've spent, what, the past several months with you now. Yeah, since, yeah. Since around February, January, February, yeah, March. Yeah, this this is week 11 of the podcast so yeah so like it's nice to see other stories and like it's all cancer but it's all different and that's always like and that's always interesting because even though you two have bowel cancer we have very different stories it's completely different and the treatment's different and yeah. it's just that's the only similarities for us was we both were on oxaliplatin mm-hmm. Falfox mm-hmm. that was the only thing yeah. and I had 12 and you would eat and the, the first day I, before we finished the first time I met Linda we were sitting across from each other in having air treatment and not many people talk to you in there they're yeah, very quiet yeah. there's a lot of older people and I understand that and a lot of really sick people you know so you don't have much chats really Linda was chatting to somebody beside her and then I think I was leaving actually and I got up and we happened to get talking and yeah. they were saying that you had the reaction at five and um, we got chatting then and then I didn't see you after that and then I met you that day yeah uh, which was our last cycle yeah that's right and we just got chatting again and then you said take me number so we took numbers and since then we check in every day to see yeah. how each other is doing and, and, and when I yeah. and when I, like Eddie on my children's lives when I say Ema makes me laugh every day she makes me laugh every day she's so funny and yeah I know I know the podcast was important for you to get yes, the story across yes. but like she should be on the stage like she really should and it's 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 really good for me as well when I'm feeling crap the way she kind of you lift everyone up but I don't think you give yourself enough credit for for the kind of person you are because you are a really good person but well, I hope I'm a good person because you know here at the end of this we know where we're all going so I hope I'm good <laughs> And hopefully, hopefully no. not for 20 years. Oh, now. no, Come no, on. 20, you want to go again? I'm not going out here to about 80. <laughs> I have but, too much to do. But that's the good thing, like, because like you were saying, with cancer, you always kind of, it's always you look at the bad and you look at the dark mm. places and stuff like that. But it's nice, like, from me looking from the outside mm. in, 
there's there's good with it there is good with it like oh, there's yeah. always a positive with it yeah. and like this friendship is a, yeah, a, yeah. A positive. and i'm sitting here my team. liver is killing me and i never have pain in my liver but mm. my liver is throbbing the last 20 minutes and this distracts me because i'm thinking oh is there something in me fucking liver i'm dying you know because i'm a hypochondriac mm. <laughs> you know? i Do remember you know, my gp it? said to me hypochondriacs live longer and here we are now and i'm half dead so like he's a fucking liar, you know. But she always goes there, always goes to the negative, and she's always giving out to me because I'm very like clear cut and rational, and like yourself, yeah. Emer. Come here, I'm listen. Very, like, I have to say I've had a tough time, and my and if, if you'd have seen me around the time of my I my liver resection, like it was awful, Emer. Right, it really was. But I didn't go through what you, like what you've gone through with the radiation seems a hundred times worse than what I've gone through. So it's, I feel like I've had an no, easy ride. No, it's no like, different. No, it's no different. Each person's, you know, your operation by radiation. That level of pain for you is the same as my level of pain for radiation. It's it's your story, my story. It doesn't take from anybody. You know, yeah. if, as I just say, you know, it, it's what you're after going through. It's what I'm after going through. Yeah. But it's what you take out of it. Yeah. You know, it's what you pull from yeah. it. And what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And you mm. got through it. A hundred percent. And now I don't fear the word cancer so much. Mm. It, it doesn't have that <gasps> in my chest. Anymore. I don't like it. But no, I, I don't, don't like it either. I, but I don't, I don't fear it. Yeah. I, don't fe- I don't have that fear that I had when I first heard it. I don't have that. I have like an acceptance of this is the way it is. And there's treatment there. And But I do definitely think that your positive mental attitude is, is what, what gets takes us through. And your strength it has to be you your know, strength. You know? Definitely. And mm. that going to the dark places is allowed. Mm. You know, for a tiny amount of time. Yeah, we and have then to get up out of and there. out of that, you know? I know. Because what you feed in there is what you feed through your body. Mm. You know? So if you're putting positivity into your mind, you know, your body yeah. is releasing endorphins. So it's completely different. You know, you have a different mindset, you know, you have a different get up and yeah. go, mm. you know? And on and that note. Yeah. Thanks, Ed, for because uh, I know Absolutely that was a long great one. To no, uh, no, it's been great, and it's yeah. For me, it's always interesting to hear everyone's different stories and kind of learn from everyone. Yeah. And, and thanks for the cake. Oh, you're yeah. very welcome. Thanks. That Linda dropped on the floor. Like we had. Wouldn't be me now if I didn't do that. Like. <laughs> but yeah, t- thanks very much, Gina, for coming on and telling your story because that's what we're trying to get. We're trying to get people's stories heard out there, and we are trying to do things with. And this another podcast. thing we're trying to do, and I'm not going to go on much longer, is we're trying to lower the age of screening mm. because the age of screening in this country is 60, and it's a fucking joke. It's, I know, I swear, but that's just me. Um, and we are trying to get the age lowered, but we're not getting many signatures. Like, we're up to 500. You need thousands to go to yeah, the dial yeah, or the government. Do, yeah. So, yeah. But I really want to push that. Yeah. Um, and at the moment, I'm, I'm quite busy with work and stuff, mm. and I'm tired. Like, yeah. I don't have... Mm. I don't have the time, like, because I have an interview next week. But after that, I'd like to start pushing that again. Mm. Uh, I said I was going to write to Leo and Mika and all them, but I haven't, but I will. Mika. Mika. <laughs> T-shock. <laughs> Or maybe a right to the president. I don't know, but there has to be someone that listen. Yeah. And we, if we could get it even lowered by ten years or fifteen years, you know, from sixty to fifty, definitely, You know, so yeah. it's something I'm really passionate about. Yeah. But I'm tired and I haven't the time. But I will get back on that at some point, you know, yeah. then over the next few weeks. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, um, go sign the petition. Help us get the signatures, um, because that's what'll ultimately lobby the government to change these things Um, and you can uh, follow us on all our social medias and also um, if you want to come on and tell your story like Emer and Anita and Anne-Marie do get in contact with us oh and Debbie yes Debbie so we've had four guests we've done well Um, well. 
be nice to get on. some people on who are family members of people who have had cancer or who have passed away you mm-hmm. know that would be yeah. just to talk to those as to well to see the impact know? of yeah. from the outside in yeah, um, yeah. but yeah get in contact with us because we'd love to have you on and we'll have anyone on anyone mm-hmm. and you, look you don't even need to have cancer we'll we'll have people on that have conditions that are necessarily not seen like an, or talked about and they want to raise awareness yeah, for it and what better awareness. way to do it than on a on a what's it called a podcast yeah, I was trying to think of the words. That wasn't the word. That wasn't the word I was looking Sorry. for. But you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So get in contact with us, and uh, thanks for listening, and thanks again for coming on. Email. Thank you.